Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about sweet temptations and fearsome fixations. I'm Jason Hill, host of the Horror Hill podcast now in its third season, available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts can be found. If you can't get enough of the macabre, head on over to my neck of the woods after today's show. Tonight, I'll be filling in for Steve Taylor, and I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring the frightening fiction of M.J. Pack and Eric Peabody to life are voice talents Ash Brimstone and Mr. Peabody himself, performing a self-authored tale. All of tonight's performers are contestants in Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's fifth annual Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. 
If you enjoy their performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. The first round is on now, and there's plenty more to come to send shivers down your spine, all spooky season long. So check out our channel and join in the deliciously dark fun yet to come. Again, you can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine, or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We and the candidates appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight was written by M.J. Pack and is performed by Evil Idol 2020 contestant number 25, Ash Brimstone. In it, a young woman is invited by a respected local businessman to get first dibs on a brand new, never-before-tasted confection. They say you should never take candy from strangers, but what about from people you trust? Without further ado, I present to you... Sweets. When I was a kid, my mom thought that the world was a very dangerous place. It wasn't just her, either. All parents seem afflicted with this strange mania that made them believe that around every dark corner, in any shadow, lurked something unspeakable ready to snatch up wayward children that stumbled into its grasp. We were told the rules over and over and over. Never take candy from strangers. Always come in before the streetlights turn on. Never go anywhere with someone you don't know, even if they say they were sent by your parents. Always use the buddy system. The four commandments of parents, alternating with absolute statements. Never, always, never, always. We would nod solemnly as we were told these rules, but inside we were thinking... So what? No strangers ever offered us candy. You couldn't see outside after dark anyway. No one tried to convince us our parents had been in an accident so we should go with them. And as far as the buddy system, that could rarely be verified. So we just came and went as we pleased. We felt like it was parents that made it hard to be a kid, not these countless threats that were, as far as we were concerned imaginary. I remember a visiting neighbor who told mom about the newest fad in child abduction, the altered appearance trick. A kidnapper would grab an unattended child in a public place like a market or department store, take them to the bathroom, cut or in some remarkable cases dye their hair, change their clothes, and walk out of the store in plain sight with a brand new child that now didn't match the hysterical parent's description. I thought it was bullshit. Although, at nine years old, I'd rather die than use that word in my mother's presence. 
but she ate it up, her mouth open in terror. Who would do such a thing? She asked the neighbor lady who wrinkled up her nose and said, Preverts. I didn't know what a prevert was, but I assumed it was on the same level as strangers, which ranked just below Satan himself on Mom's list of people to avoid. You could practically hear the emphasis in her voice when she said the word. An all-capital letter sort of word. Strangers. Halloween was the worst for parental panic. All those masks, each one covering the face of a potential stranger. All the children in town knocking on every door for a stranger to give them candy. The year the newspaper claimed someone was hiding razor blades in chocolate bars was a total nightmare. My mom dumped out all of my candy as soon as I got home and went through each piece with painstaking, almost obsessive thoroughness, which meant that by the time she was done, it was already bedtime, and I'd only eaten two or three candies. Another thing I considered bullshit and kept my mouth shut about. But the summer I turned ten, kids started getting sick. Not all at once, just one here, one there. We were all on summer vacation, so the first assumption was there was a nasty stomach bug going around, jumping from kid to kid as we attended each other's birthday parties and swimming pools. None of my friends had gotten it yet, but from what I heard in our children's version of the grapevine, it started with vomiting. Lots of it. Then fever, sweating, followed by hallucinations. These kids babbled crazy stories until their fever subsided. Then they were fine. Well, mostly. The part the parents didn't tell each other, but we kids did. It was the best bit. The jump scare at the end of a campfire story. Was how the ones who got sick were so quiet after. Different. A lot of them even claimed what they saw in their fever dreams was real. One boy, Tommy Anderson, supposedly spent three days begging his parents to believe that a six-headed dog had chased him all the way home the first day he got sick. When they ignored his pleas and instead drilled him about where he'd been before his panic dashed to the house, Tommy clammed up probably to avoid punishment for breaking the buddy system commandment. The kids who'd been there to visit after he got better told anyone who'd listen how he barely said anything while they were there, just stared at his bedroom wall with dead eyes. There were other stories, other kids who got sick, but after a while it was just boring. It all went the same way, like when classmates came down with chicken pox. The first few were new, rare, and exciting. But after the seventh kid started barfing and ranting about snakes slithering across his ceiling, it was old hat. Summer was too full of promise to worry about some dumb virus that hadn't touched you yet. It was mid-August when I broke the buddy system commandment myself and headed to Main Street the pocket of my jeans shorts full of pleasantly clicking coins. I'd spent a few days collecting mom's change from the various places she left it. Kitchen counter, on top of the dryer, between the cushions of the couch, and I had some big plans for the few dollars I'd managed to scrape together. I cut through the neighborhoods like a street-smart tomcat, shaving minutes off my trip, 
whistling a tune and jiggling my pocket so the coins made a cheerful accompaniment. A field, a few alleyways, and I was at my destination, the Cherry Pop Candy Shop. The Cherry Pop Candy Shop was a staple summer destination. Its jolly storefront seemed to shout at you from between the other bland brick businesses. Come in, come in, come in. The glass door proudly bore a hand-painted logo, all fire engine red and sunshine yellow, with giant juicy cherries replacing the O's in pop and shop. I admired it as I always did when I pushed the door open that day in August, the bells above my head tinkling their announcement of my arrival. Behind the counter, Stanley grinned at me. Thought I'd be seeing you here soon, he said jovially. Been setting aside some candy necklaces just for you, Wendy, my dear. Stanley was nice. He owned the Cherry Pop candy shop, and he always remembered what sweets we liked best. Candy necklaces were my favorite. I'd eat them straight from around my neck until nothing was left but damp, limp string. I had to save up. I jiggled my pocket again so he could hear the coins clinking together. Mom's been stingy on the change this summer. What? Don't you do chores for allowance? Stanley leaned his elbows against the counter and surveyed me briefly. Mow the lawn or something. We got lots of rain in June. Grass is sprouting up something fierce. I was only halfway listening to him. My attention now on the jars of candy on display like cases of bright glittering jewels. Mom says that's boy stuff. I answered trying to decide between fun dip and pixie sticks. Hmm. Your mom's got some funny ideas. She should just put you to work. You look like you could handle it. Grown up an awful lot this summer. Stanley paused, then raised his voice a little. Hey, you want to try something special? The word recaptured my attention. Special candy. What is it? I started to grab a handful of pixie sticks reconsidered and dropped them back in the bin. If there was special candy, I better save my money. I already said, it's special. Stanley took out a key from his pocket and unlocked a drawer beneath the counter as I approached. He cast a quick glance at the door. Now, if I give you a piece of this, you have to promise not to tell anyone else. It's unreleased, straight from the Mars Candy Company. If they find out I'm giving out free samples, they'll have my hide. I won't tell, I said immediately. His hand was still in the drawer, grasping something. He was scrunching up his face at me, trying to decide if I was trustworthy enough. I don't know, Wendy. I hear from the other kids you can't keep a secret. Well, they say you're a blabbermouth. Who says I'm a blabbermouth? I demanded. That's bullshit. As soon as the word popped out, I was mortified. I'd said a curse in front of a grown-up. It was nearly as bad as if it had been my own mother. I clapped my hand over my mouth in horror. Stanley started laughing. Not a polite little laugh either. A full-on belly laugh that almost had him bent over. Okay, Wendy. Okay, he chuckled. I believe you such conviction. I hope I never get on your bad side. 
You're going to be a hard lady to handle someday. I wasn't quite sure what he meant, but he was pulling the special candy out and locking the drawer again. And that's what mattered. Stanley set it on the counter in front of me with the flourished presentation of a stage magician. Ta-da! It was a row of little circular discs. Pastel colored. Pale pinks and greens and yellows. The packaging was plain, clear plastic. No logo. The ends were twisted so it couldn't fall open. It was generic. Boring. And I felt like I'd seen it before. What a letdown. Those are just smarties, I said at last, my voice thick with disappointment. Stanley shook his head earnestly. No, there's so much more than that. He delicately took the end of the packaging and began to untwist it. He dumped four of the candies into his hand and held his palm out toward me. Try them. I promise, they're fantastic. And you'll be the first person in town who got to eat them before anyone else. That got me. I wouldn't brag about it, of course. Stanley had sworn me to secrecy and I'd rather die than be a blabbermouth like the other kids said. But I was never first at anything, so I scooped the four candies out of his hand and dropped them greedily into my mouth. They were sweet, almost cloyingly so. My teeth ached as I chewed. I was once again disappointed to realize their texture was powdery soft. Even with their extra sweetness, these were definitely just repackaged Smarties. But Stanley was smiling at me, a big, wide, eager smile, and I couldn't tell him the truth, that I thought someone had ripped him off. They're really good, Stanley, I said, feigning enthusiasm. Wow, I mean, for real. Super sweet. Stanley's grin grew wider. He nodded. Good, good. Do you want some more? Before I could respond, he had dumped more of them into my palm. I ate them obediently because he was just so excited. So pleased to share this special secret candy with me. And like I said, I was never first at anything. I hoped he wouldn't give me any more, though. I was starting to feel... sick. Really good, I said again. I smacked my lips trying to get the sugar-sweet taste off of my tongue. Um, do you think I could have a glass of water? Stanley's grin faded. His mouth turned down at the corners. You didn't like it, he said sadly. My special candy, you didn't like it. Oh no, I said, stomach rolling. I did. I liked it a lot, but I just want... <laughs> when I said the word want, a sudden jet of vomit burst out of me like hot lava. At the last second, I had the sense to bend down and put my hands on my knees. The puddle of sick landed between my feet on the floor. A long moment of silence went by. Oh, look at that naughty girl, Stanley murmured, almost to himself. I'm... Uh, I'm sorry. I... I heaved again, but nothing came up. My face was burning with embarrassment. 
I hadn't been sick in public like this since I was four and caught the flu during Christmas. I'd spent most of the holiday in my grandmother's living room with a bucket, weeping because I couldn't play with my presents. Well, I can't have anyone else in here with that nasty mess on the floor. Bad for business. Very bad. Stanley left his spot from behind the counter and swept past me, clicking the lock on the front door. He flipped the open sign to closed and turned back to me with his hands on his hips. Now who'd want to buy candy with that nasty mess on the floor, Wendy? I'm sorry, I said again. I was near tears, but to cry would cost me the last shred of my dignity, so I held it back as well as the urge to vomit again and met his gaze pitifully. Can I have some ice water now, please? Stanley sighed as though this were a ridiculous request. Come with me. I have some ice water in the back. Nice and cold. Should help. He took me by the hand and began to lead me past the candy counter. I stepped clumsily over my pile of sick and followed him, begging myself not to throw up anymore. Stanley pushed open the swinging door between the store and his back office, pulling me inside. I tripped over my own numb feet and jerked out of his hold to stop myself from sprawling on all fours. When I looked up at the room, everything was wrong. What I expected to be some kind of office was a nearly empty room. Sterile. Just a few broken candy crates in one corner. The walls were dull gray cement, but they seemed to be melting, oozing. And the door he was leading me to was impossibly small. A door meant for dormice that was pulsing like a languid heartbeat. I can't fit in there, I mumbled, my tongue thick in my mouth. Sure you can, Stanley insisted as he reached for my hand again. Come on. I'll get you some water, just like you wanted. As his hand grew nearer, almost in slow motion it seemed to morph into an oily bundle of worms, all squirming together in a disgusting wet mess. I could feel my face pounding with red-hot heat. Sweat had begun to prickle on my forehead and under my arms. Don't touch me, I screamed, backing away. I didn't want to bump the walls because I was sure they would make me melt too. I didn't want the worms to wrap around my wrist in their slimy grip. I didn't want to have to force myself through that terrifyingly tiny door. I saw Stanley make another move toward me, but now his face was long, drawn, pointed in all the places it shouldn't be. His eyes narrowed to evil little slits. I shrank from him. Knowing if he touched me, I would shatter into a thousand painful, jagged pieces. I want my mom. I'm not sure how much of that was really what I said. I just know it's what I was thinking. Over and over. I want my mom. I want my mom. Your water's in there, Stanley said, pointing one wormy finger back at the impossibly small door. Don't you want a glass of water? I want my mom, I thought again. And then I was flying, barreling through the swinging door back into the cherry pop candy shop. Stanley shouted for me to stop, but his voice became a thundering waterfall. 
a rushing torrent that broke bones over river rocks. He reached for me and missed. I scrambled past the counter to the front door. Stanley was behind me, wormy hands and waterfall voice. He got close but forgot about my puddle of sick on the floor and slipped in it, losing his footing, going down. I couldn't get out. I was pushing at the door and it wouldn't open. My hands beat uselessly at the glass until I remembered the lock. With surprisingly deft fingers, I turned it and launched myself into the outside world. The sun burnt my eyes and my whole body was throbbing with an almost unbearable heat. But I ran. I ran aimlessly down Main Street, knowing that if Stanley touched me, it was over. I would simply burst and there would be nothing left of me. I don't remember much beyond that. I'm told I fled screaming down the road, begging people for help, telling them I was on fire and that the candy shop owner was made of worms. It was my escape that made it possible, that connected the previously scattered pieces of the puzzle. The memory loss, that was a pretty common side effect. Most of the other kids couldn't remember where they'd been when they first got sick. Either that or they wouldn't tell. Turns out I wasn't the first kid in town to try the special candy like Stanley said. I told you, I'm never first at anything. Turns out I was right. They were just smarties. Smarties soaked in liquid LSD. He'd started out careful, only giving a piece or two to select children, spacing them out over the course of weeks so as not to draw suspicion. Then he couldn't stop. By the time I walked into his shop that day, Stanley was giving out triple the dose he'd started with. Mom refused to tell me what happened to the other kids. The ones who went through that door that I insisted was tiny. Too tiny for anyone to fit through. Whenever I asked, she just told me I was lucky. Luckier than the rest. She said it like it was a good thing, but she always got upset when I brought it up, turning her face from me to hide the fact that she was crying. The four commandments of parents had failed her, and she knew it. Never take candy from strangers. But Stanley hadn't been a stranger. That was the problem. He was the candy man, and he was supposed to be safe. To this day, I wonder what was behind that door. How he got the other kids through it. What he did to them back there. And to this day, I can't eat sweets. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Sweets, as written by M.J. Pack and performed by Evil Idol 2020 contestant number 25, Ash Brimstone. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you. Both written and performed by Evil Idol 2020 contestant number 26, Eric Peabody. In it, a gentleman is tormented by recurring numbers and grows increasingly paranoid as he becomes increasingly certain there is more to reality than he suspects. Without further ado, I present to you October 14th. Monday, September 9. I can't go back to the shop anymore. I had thought it was safe, but I was wrong. It caught me by surprise. It was... It was too much. I probably shouldn't have blown up the way that I did. That was... Stupid. I should have known that they could have been watching... It was the number. That same number again, and I couldn't hold myself back. I stood there at the counter, refusing to touch the bills and the coins that he was trying to hand me, and I told him that I knew what he was doing. That son of a bitch didn't even flinch. He just looked at me, holding his hand out, waiting for me to take the money. I told him, I said, I know what this is about. I don't know who you're working for or why you're doing this, but I don't like any of it. I stared him dead in the eye as I said it, and even though he didn't react, I could see that I had him scared. I knew that he was terrified on the inside. The bastard played it cool, though. I have to give him that. He slowly lowered his hand and put the money on the counter. I wanted to keep looking into his eyes, wanted to show him that I wasn't afraid of him, but I ended up glancing down at the cash. Ten dollars and fourteen cents was what he had said, just like he was remarking on the weather, as if he didn't know what that number meant. What it did to me. I could see the money in a loose pile, and below that, through the glass top, the scratch cards and lighters. I looked back up and could see that he was smiling through his mustache. Look, buddy, he said to me, and even though he was smiling, I could still see that fear in his eyes. I'm not doing anything to you. You can take your change or not, but you've got to leave, he says. And then he turned around and started fussing over the rack of cigarettes. Like nothing had happened like he didn't know what he was really 
telling me. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't even move for a minute. I just stood there, watching the fluorescent light reflect off the sweat on his bald head and the cheap polyester of his Hawaiian shirt. I was convinced that I could break him. I had one of them now, right in front of me after months of this stupid game they were playing, and I knew that I could push him over the edge. Get him to admit it. Get him to tell me who they were, why they were doing this. Everything. I leaned forward over the counter and was about to grab the back of his shirt when the cash caught my eye again. I froze. There was a message written on the topmost bill right across Hamilton's forehead. Blue ballpoint, large print. Each letter gone over several times, so the words stood out against the bill. I could see the light reflecting on the ink, on the grooves that the pen had made on the paper. It said, Stop. Not. Yet. I looked up at the man again, my arm still outstretched. Was he sweatier than he had been? I think he was. I knew he was scared, but now I was too. What the hell was going on? I knew the message was directed at me, but how? Who had sent it? How had it slipped past all of their machinations without them noticing it? Or did they know? Was this all part of the game? I didn't know what to do. This might be my best chance to get a straight answer from him, from them. But then I started thinking. Who else was in the store? I had looked around when I came in, like I always do, and hadn't seen anyone. But my head had been hurting so bad that I might have missed someone. I couldn't be sure. And then I heard the bell over the front door ding, and I knew that this wasn't the time. The message had been a warning. It was telling me that someone was on the way, and that this wasn't the time to push the issue. I grabbed the cash off the counter and my bag of groceries and hurried out and back upstairs, pushing past the guy that had entered. Some asshole in a wrinkled gray suit with a paper under his arm. Was he in on it? <sighs> Who fucking knew anymore? I got upstairs, back to good old apartment 12, closed and locked the door behind me, and then... Well, I guess I just kind of lost it. I slumped down against the door, started crying. I dropped the groceries and the change and just curled up my fists pressing into my eyes, bawling. It was all too much, and it had been going on for too long. Months. It wasn't fair. It just wasn't damn fair. First they took her, and now they were trying to... To what? To drive me crazy? That was the most likely answer make me lose my mind so that I couldn't expose them. I don't know how long I laid there. 
The room was darker when I finally got the strength to stand up. I put the groceries, now warm, in the fridge, bag and all. I put the change in an envelope, sealed it, wrote the date on it, put it with the others. And then I started writing. Susan wouldn't want me to give up. She'd want me to fight. To keep going, to drag everything into the light so everyone else could see what they were doing. What they had done. To her. And if I'm going to do that, I have to keep everything straight. Write it all down. Make sure I don't miss anything. 10-14. October 14th. The day she died. The day that they took her from me. I didn't know at the time. The investigation said that it was faulty breaks. I had stayed home. People said that I was lucky. I didn't feel lucky. Things changed after that. I didn't want to see anyone. Not my family, not hers. Friends called for a while, but I couldn't talk to them. It all just hurt too much. I lost my job after a few months. Well, they were understanding at first, but you can only miss so much time before they just cut you loose. Tell you to get lost. There was some life insurance, but not enough to keep the house. I didn't want to stay there anyway. It was too empty without her. Without Susan. I'd started hearing things. Footsteps in other rooms, shuffling, scratching. At the time, I thought I was going crazy, but now I wonder if it wasn't them. Even way back then, starting their campaign against me. It was only after I had moved here to this apartment that I really started becoming aware of what was happening. I'd see people when I got down to the street. People watching me, only to turn and round a corner as soon as I made eye contact. People pretending to talk on the phone, but their eyes kept moving away right as I'd noticed them. And the number. Everywhere. Order number 1014 at the fast food place down the road. Savings of $10.14 when I use my club card at the big grocery store a few blocks over. Commercials on TV for cheap bullshit products call 1-800-blah-blah-blah with 1014 snuck in there. Or 1410. Or some combination thereof. Sometimes together, sometimes apart. Sometimes just hinted at. I had bought a pair of shoes, and the total was $37.77. It wasn't until I was walking home that it clicked into place. 3 plus 7 equals 10, 7 plus 7 equals 14. $37.77 is 10.14. The suspicious figures were more plentiful by that point. I started seeing shadows in the apartment, caused by something moving across the window, blocking the light. I never caught a direct glimpse, but I'd always see the motion right as I was turning. 
I don't have a window ledge. People watching me. Everywhere. I stopped going out for food. Stopped going to the big grocery store. That small shop under my apartment. For a while, that seemed safe. I could get what I needed there. Bread, milk, liquor. It seemed safe. For a while. Not anymore. <sighs> Getting hungry now. It's dark out and I can't see the notepad too well. Don't dare turn on the light. I think I see that cigarette glow again. The one in the window of the building across the street. Thursday, September 26. Things have gotten worse. I haven't been down to the shop for a bit. Haven't been anywhere, really. I've just felt... Uh, listless. Ate what I had at home and then started on the canned food. Can't really get up the gumption to go out. I'm scared, <laughs> to be honest. Scared and I can't stop thinking about her. I don't have much food left. I've slowed down. Only ate two cans of kidney beans yesterday. One can of black beans today. Need to make the rest of it last for as long as I can. I don't want to have to go outside until I have to. I can tell that the season is changing. The sun is setting earlier. It's getting closer to October. I still can't turn my lights on at night. I haven't seen the cigarette in the window for a while, but I think he, or she, or they, have just gotten wise. Maybe the guy I caught smoking was taken off the job by his superiors. Maybe they had him killed. Killed like they killed Susan. They know that I'm getting wise to their bullshit. I haven't gone out, so they've started increasing their pressure on me at home here. Phone ringing, only to have a deadline when I answer it. Footsteps in the hallway outside at odd hours. I always hear them. I haven't been sleeping unless I have to. I don't want to miss anything. There's some pattern here, some reason, and I know that if I just pay attention, I can figure it out. Why they're taunting me. Why they did what they did. The faucet in my tub has started dripping again. It was doing it when I moved in, before I knew that any of this was going on, but the building super fixed it. I haven't called him this time. There's a sequence to it. One drip, then silence, then one more, and then four more. The timing is so precise that it almost just sounds like slow, consistent water drops. Almost like it's not a message. A clue or a threat? They're being clever, I have to give them that. I'll need to go out for food soon. If I really stretch what I have here, I think I can last another week. Besides... I don't know how safe the apartment is anymore. Someone's been in here.
I opened the envelope from the other day, the one with the $10 bill that had the message on it. The envelope still looked sealed, but the bill must have been swapped for a clean one. There was no message on this one. They must have waited until I fell asleep and then crept in. I've since put a tall glass on the linoleum in front of the door with a plate balanced on it. I put a bunch of marbles on there, watching as they rolled around and slowly came to rest. Was there some message in the pattern they formed? No, that that's crazy. <laughs> Still, if anyone opens that door, all those marbles are going to fall on the floor and that'll be sure to wake me up. I can't risk having anyone come in when I'm asleep. Friday, September 27. They got in last night. I don't know how, but they did. I didn't realize for hours after I woke up and knowing that they could have still been in here is enough to make my skin crawl. After I searched the apartment, I wanted to take a shower, but I can't. The faucet is still dripping, and if I turn on the water, I might miss some essential part of the message. Some slight change to a new sequence. I finished writing last night around 7.30. It was getting too dark to keep going. Still, I didn't dare go to sleep that early. I sat in the chair in the living room, drinking to pass the time. The lights were off, the TV was off. I didn't want them to have any way to see me. I'm beginning to suspect that they're using infrared as well, but there's only so much I can do. I stayed there for hours. The window opened so I could hear what was going on outside. I must have drifted off at some point. When I woke up, it was still dark. The small clock on the counter said 2.30. I made a cup of coffee and sat back in the chair. The sky started lightening up around six. I was making my third cup of coffee by that point, and I noticed it as I was walking back to my chair. The dish with the marbles. I had watched them last night when I set them up, and they had been randomly situated across the dish, wherever they happened to come to rest. But now they were different. They still looked random but they were different and the glass and the plate itself weren't in the same place it was close so close that they probably didn't think I would notice but they were definitely further away from the door far enough away for someone to slip in maybe if they were thin how did they move the plate I don't know. I took stock of my food again today. It's worse than I thought. I had started drinking a bit earlier than usual yesterday and must have miscounted the cans. I have enough for a few days and that's it. I'll deal with that when it comes to it. I had gone into the bathroom at one point to try to have a bowel movement. There was, of course, nothing in my stomach, but it was aching horribly. As I was sitting down on the toilet, I noticed an itch on my skin, right under my navel. 
I pulled my shirt up and saw red there. Some irritation. I'll have to keep an eye on it. I can't get sick. Can't go to a doctor. Can't go anywhere. I have to stop writing now. Head is hurting too bad to focus on the page. There's noise outside in the hall. I think someone's moving in next door. I hear a kid running around. I need to check the house again. Make sure that those bastards didn't do anything else while they were in here last night. After that, I can have a drink and try to calm my nerves. I need to stay focused. Saturday, October 5. Finally had to go get food today. Haven't eaten since Thursday and ran out of vodka. I needed to get out of the apartment anyway. I don't feel safe here anymore. They've been back in here at least once since my last journal entry. I started wedging a chair against the front door, but I think they came in through the open window. I don't know how. It's a brick building, sheer face, no ledge. I can't stop thinking about one of them climbing down the side from the roof on all fours, like Dracula did to Jonathan Harker. The shop was empty when I came in. No one at the register. No one in the aisles. As I was grabbing what I needed, I heard running water from the back room. Someone had turned on a faucet. I took the chance to rush out the front door. I didn't want to deal with whatever confrontation would ensue. I was too hungry. I got back upstairs and was unlocking the door when the new neighbor came out of her apartment. She must have heard me walk past as I was going to my front door. Pretty woman, maybe 30 years old. She startled me and I dropped my keys. She tried to talk to me, but I picked up my keys and got inside before she could say much. I didn't hear what she said. Maybe she was just going to introduce herself. Maybe she was going to speak some code. It doesn't matter. They're out in the world, they're in the grocery store, they're even in my damn apartment. What's one more of them living next door? Besides, I had other things on my mind. The vodka was the only thing I'd put in my stomach in two days and I could feel myself coming apart at the seams. It wasn't just hunger. It was a sort of... unraveling. I felt floaty, but also strangely open, exposed, vulnerable. The daylight coming in the window felt like it wasn't just hitting my skin, but was somehow permeating me. Before I could eat anything, my stomach was still itching violently, so I went into the bathroom to look at it. The walls seemed to slide past me as I went, almost smearing I had intended on looking in the mirror, but when I got into the bathroom, I sat down hard on the edge of the tub. The room was swimming. I managed to pull my shirt up and look down. There was nothing there. The red mark was gone, but good God did it itch. 
As I sat there, I realized that the faucet had stopped dripping. I froze. I hadn't used it in over a week. When had it stopped? Five days ago? Yesterday? Just now? What did it mean? Then I felt something right under my navel. Something moving. I looked down, but nothing revealed itself on my skin. The sensation of movement stopped. I am convinced now that they have implanted something in me. Maybe to track me, maybe to listen. Maybe they can monitor what I see and are reading the words I write in this journal, <laughs> even as I'm writing them. It almost doesn't matter. I've come to terms with the fact that they're everywhere. I cannot escape them, but I need to know what it is that they want. Why they are tormenting me. Why they killed Susan. I need to eat now. I know that I am vulnerable. Maybe that's why they're doing this. Forcing me to close myself off and stay out of the world. If I don't eat, I'll be weak. They can get in. They can control me. I just need to know what to do to make it end. I can't take this much longer. Thursday, October 9. They're taking her away from me again. I don't know why, but they're stealing her just like they stole her last time. I first noticed it happening a couple of days ago. Monday, maybe Tuesday. One of the pictures I have of her, a small 3x5 that's framed in the living room, was gone. It had slowly gotten covered in mail as I tossed it onto the end table, but I had gotten an urge to look at it. Susan is standing in front of a guardrail with a forested valley in the background. She's smiling. We were in Yosemite. Eighteen months back. Six months before the accident. The back half of our car can be seen right at the edge of the image, and I'd realized that there might be some clue there. Something with the car. Some evidence that they had tampered with it or were preparing to. I shoved the mail aside and tried to find the photo, but it was gone. The frame was there, but it was empty. I tore through the apartment but couldn't find it. Well, I'm actually not sure of that. I found some ashes at the bottom of the kitchen garbage, under other trash, days old. I can't be sure when. I know they've been coming in here regularly. I haven't even tried to stop them. I almost want them to get comfortable, get relaxed, get careless. I'm keeping a butcher knife taped to the side of my chest just under my left armpit. When I wear a shirt, you can't even notice it. If I can get them to slip up, I can catch one of them when they're in here, and I can make them talk. The photo must have had some evidence. They knew that I would find something there, and they couldn't let that happen. 
Yesterday, I realized that I had never made an accurate timeline of everything. I sense that things are coming to a head soon, and I want everything at my disposal, all the information. I grabbed a sheet of paper and retrieved all the envelopes from the shoebox in the closet. Every receipt, every collection of bills and coins, notes I had written about phone calls and television commercials. Everything. <sighs> Except now, it's nothing. As I unsealed the envelopes, I realized that something was wrong. My notes were still there but everything else was different. One envelope had June 25, McDonald's Order 1410 written on it. Inside was a receipt from June 25, but the order number was 1310. Another had July 16, gas station on 10th and Main, $10.14 change written on it. But there was only $6.42 in the envelope. I forced myself to stay calm and keep going. If I lost control now, I'd end up with a senseless pile of papers and money in front of me, and, and that wouldn't do any good. In the end, it was all of it. All of the objective evidence. Every note I had written was still there, but what are notes, really? All of the hard proof of their meddling, of their messages, of their persecution. All gone. They had come in and taken all of it. Swapped it for lies. I had started drinking as I was going through everything and don't remember much of the day after that. I woke up this morning to the smoke alarm going off. I stumbled out of the chair and somehow made it into the kitchen. There was a fire in the sink. I turned on the water and managed to stifle the flames. When the smoke cleared, I could see what had been burning. My wallet photo of Susan. And the one that was hanging in the bedroom. And the photo album from the closet. All of it. Every memory I had of her. They had snuck in while I was asleep and taken her from me. Every last scrap. I can feel that something is going to happen soon. Some final interaction. I have nothing left. They know that. On Tuesday, it'll be one year since she died. Monday, October 13. Not much to write anymore. I know what comes next. Tomorrow's the day. They have been emptying out my life so that I am ready. I don't know what their full purpose is but they have left me a final message. And it's now up to me. I went outside earlier. No more food. Not for days. 
had to get something. Anything. Walked past the new neighbor's apartment towards the stairs. I'm in apartment 12. She's in apartment 14. Something on her door caught my eye. A drawing. A kid's drawing. The new neighbor's kid. The drawing was in crayon of a woman standing by a car. Trees in the background. So similar to the photo that they took from me. There was writing. Red crayon at the top of the page. The letters standing out bright in the dim light of the hallway. Susan. Age 10. I hope you enjoyed October 14th, as written and performed by Evil Idol 2020 contestant number 26, Eric Peabody. Before we go, I'd like to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. I'd also like to invite you again to check out more narrative nightmares on my program, Horror Hill, available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your favorite programs can be found, with three thrilling seasons to sink your teeth into, with all the tales performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. And if you drop by and dig what I do, please take a moment to leave me a five-star review and a comment, and let me know you heard about me here on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It would mean a lot to me. All of tonight's performances were featured in this year's 2020 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition, which is being hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel as we speak, and which will be running over the course of the next few months. If you enjoyed the performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel today and cast your vote on the entries for tonight's featured contestants and the other entries in the competition. Again, you can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine. Or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performers thus far. As always, we and the candidates appreciate your support. Also, as a reminder, don't forget to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012, and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.
Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>